So you always want to be prepared to... To set goals. To be really disruptive. Diversity is fundamental. It is just trusting those super strengths. To recover from those failures and, and learn from them. Humility looks like the softest word, but it's kind of the hardest. We ourselves are in beta mode. Life goes on. Sporting Edge, inside the mind of champions. Welcome to the Inside the Mind of Champions podcast. My name is Jeremy Snape. I'm a former England cricketer with a master's degree in sports psychology. Since retiring, I've been fortunate to work with and interview some of the world's most successful thinkers and performers. And I'm passionate about translating their habits and routines into practical strategies to help you become more successful. In each episode, I'll be dissecting a common performance challenge to help you improve your mindset, your leadership and your team performance. To me, our mindset is the next frontier. So let's find out why. Hello and welcome to Inside the Mind of Champions, where I dig into a specific area of performance and draw out those all important practical strategies to help you to become happier, healthier and more successful. Today's topic of rethinking downtime is so important, but just before we dive in, I wanted to say a few quick thank yous for the flurry of kind notes and five-star reviews we've had over the last couple of weeks. I really appreciate you taking the time, those extra 60 seconds, to leave a review or type a comment and make sure I read everyone. I've had a LinkedIn message from Alex, Andy and Zane and Moabi in, in South Africa as well. And also the five-star reviews from Pete Gould, Cy, Owen, Laura and Dave and Ellie. Thanks so much for leaving those reviews on Apple Podcasts. It really helps people to understand what the show's about. I've also had a very honest and touching email from someone who works in the NHS on the front line of those incredibly challenging COVID-19 wards who explain that the podcast has really helped them stay on track with their mental health in the last few months. So I really appreciate those notes that you've sent through and I'm really glad you're finding the comments and content helpful. I know how tough it is and, and that's really why I want to share some of the insights from the amazing people we've interviewed. I'm working on this new members club also to give you access to these interviews, not only when I'm creating a podcast, but also for you to go on demand and fix those urgent issues or or maybe something that's on your mind at a particular time. So if you're interested in having access to that amazing library of digital insights so you can watch all the videos, then just drop me a note through to hello at sportingedge.com and I'll make sure you're on that founder members list as we get started in the coming months. So today's theme is rethinking downtime. I'm going to feature a few of the listener questions as well as walking through this session uh, I know it's an area on a lot of people's mind and I've been searching through our digital library to try and find a really diverse range of insights for you. So I really hope they help. Here's a taster of what's to come. I think sometimes when you want something so badly, it starts to sort of take over and you sort of lose perspective. You see, a very healthy pattern of stress is acute stressor followed by recovery. That actually builds up a resilience to stress. So if you're one of these people who gets in at seven and you work till eight or nine, 
you're not really being effective. You're, you're maximising the work you can do, but you're not optimising the work you can do. I think sometimes you don't know how bad you feel until you feel really good. When you're not feeling great, that's often the time that you, you, know, you neglect your mind, your body, you don't get a lot of sleep, you don't eat the right things because you're a bit down or you don't feel like you're the priority. None of us could have predicted how long this lockdown would have continued for. And as we see more localised outbreaks around the world, as people starting to gather back in groups, we still seem to be a long way off from that sense of normality. This episode is really topical for me, having embraced the challenge of leading Sporting Edge, our, our business, through the initial turbulence. I doubled down on the advice that I give you with early morning runs, healthy food, no alcohol during the working week. And that was all going brilliantly. And then I seemed to fatigue and hit a bit of a slump and my motivation waned. And I was craving those sugary foods and comfort eating and and those beers and my exercise dropped off. And and no surprise that, you know, I put on a few pounds and, and also got more and more frustrated by that drop in motivation. So after a few weeks of slothing around, I sort of spoke to myself and, and got myself refocused, taking control back of my health and well-being. And, and interestingly, last week on LinkedIn, I posted a, one of the short videos from our library from Sir Dave Brailsford, the you know world-class cycling coach from both track cycling and the, and the Tour de France, explaining how our motivation wanes, ebbs and flows, you know, goes up and down all the time on a daily basis. But actually, it's commitment that he looks for in the athletes, that they stay committed to their programs, even when they don't feel like it. So I don't know about you, but I've I've really had periods of massive energy and motivation through this lockdown period. And then I've also had these long periods where I've been staring at a screen or, or getting easily distracted by my social media, almost like I've lost my way a little bit. So actually, I found that these regular webinars that I've been running uh, for our corporate clients keep me focused, almost like a performance where I get nervous and that spike of adrenaline brings me back to focus a bit like I, I did as a cricketer back in my early career. But I think spending a lot of the time on camera, whether it's on Microsoft Teams or Zoom or whatever it might be, definitely you know is is more draining than than normal office work so i don't know how you've you know gone about that and i think blocking some time out to recharge uh, you know is a really important thing and it's interesting that many of us have got more flexibility over our time than we've ever had with less commuting time but many of us seem to have just lengthened out the working day with many of our businesses under pressure we felt compelled to work extra hard and you know, longer hours to keep those wheels turning. I'd be fascinated to hear about your energy levels through this COVID-19 timeline. You know, have you been flat at the start and gradually built up or have you noticed peaks and troughs every week or fortnight? Or maybe you started with good intentions and and then you're fatigued in in more recent weeks. Drop me a note on LinkedIn or to hello at sportingedge.com via email. I'd be really interested to hear if your experiences are the same as mine. I ran a webinar a few weeks ago for our network of entrepreneurs and we spoke about the challenges of switching off. Lots of the ambitious delegates were commenting about how guilty they felt 
for taking a day off. It's almost like a relentless obsession to keep grinding. So much of our identity, who we are, comes from what we do for a living. And I think this stems from our work being the only place where we're measured, where we can compare ourselves to others. You're probably not compared to other mums, other brothers, other sons or other friends in terms of stats or value. It's very hard to measure. But we are in our jobs through our status, our job title or our salary. So we tend to overinvest our identity in what we do. This ultimately creates two major issues. One is that our performance where we become stubborn and relentless rather than recognising that we need to focus our energy during the day on our impact and then recharge as much as we focus on our output. And secondly, when something happens in our job, maybe we lose our job or there's a setback, uh, it's taken away unfairly from us, we can be left feeling bitter as almost as if we're grieving for that part of our identity, that job that we had, that company that we ran that gave us so much of our self-esteem. So from a wider performance perspective, as well as a purely psychological perspective, we need to find our way back to balance and being self-aware is the key. Watching out for those warning signs of us getting tense, getting frustrated or getting lethargic are just as important as studying our P&L in our business. Our first insight is from top international women's footballer, Enia Luca, who shows that finding the right balance is essential if we're going to sustain our success for any length of time. I think sometimes when you want something so badly, it starts to sort of take over and you sort of lose perspective um, on everything else. So this season, for instance, after losing the league last season, um, I knew that it was it, it was times and games when there was pressure and you know I'd, I'd get frustrated and, and all that kind of stuff. So I've had to learn really to manage it just through you know, just taking a breath, um, doing yoga, doing meditation, going to the cinema, doing something completely different to football, not talking about football when I go out to dinner. Um, All those things help to manage that pent-up, pressurised energy that comes with, you know, playing at the highest level. Um, And I really factor that into my week. I make sure that, you know, I do yoga and make sure that I, I go out with my little sisters and go to watch a film that has nothing to do with anything. I used to be the kind of person that thought I could do everything. Oh, you know, I'd go into the office at my old law firm, I'd work there, you know, work really hard, come to training, I'd go meet a friend. And before I knew it, it's midnight, and I'd not actually sat down and had any time to myself. So I've learned how to manage my own time and just have a bit of a rest each day and sit on my sofa, read a book, you know, just not do anything. Because I think when you're young, you just want to do everything. Um, But ultimately, it starts to take its toll on your performance. Um, So I've I've really had to bring that into my planning, really, the last year or two. And it's helped helped me on on the football pitch. So you can imagine that day for any, being a top footballer for England and Chelsea at the time when we interviewed her. Finishing training, you know, physically tired and then going off to do her law degree or a training and then heading straight out to, um, you know, watch some uh, opposition training or, or watch some footage and review her rivals ahead of the next game. You know, it's a pretty full on day. And as a high achiever, Annie was 
only really focused on her time in the spotlight. She didn't really see any value in her time spent in the shadows, her time away from the game, getting out of her own head and talking with family and mates and and losing herself in a film. But this is just as essential as being switched on. So what's the equivalent for you? Our energy cycle is just that. It's meant to have peaks and troughs. But if we don't have the trough of recovery, then the peaks are just going to get eroded away. How many of us consciously go to bed early for five nights when we're facing a challenging week? I have to say it doesn't come naturally to me. And one of the things I've enjoyed about creating this podcast series is studying each topic, exploring the array of experts and some research around each of the topics so that I can share something for you. But it also helps me to reflect on my own perspective and choices. And the reason I'm sharing this message now is because I've started to feel a bit flat again and I'm heading away for a few days, actually, which will help me to walk my talk. So I, uh, I'm looking forward to exploring this content and I'm definitely taking my own medicine. We all know that our body needs rest, um, you know, so I'm sure when you hear athletes like any, you think, yeah, I can see that you train hard and you recover because your muscles are fatigued. But uh, it turns out that our brain needs exactly the same, you know, system and same rhythm. I'd like to introduce you to Dr. John Coates, who is a very successful trader in Wall Street before studying a PhD and retraining as a neurobiologist. This combined his interest of risk-taking in the city with neuroscience and physiology. And his best-selling book on the subject is fascinating. And, you know, I would definitely read it if you're interested in trading and decision-making and stress. It's called The Hour Between Dog and Wolf. I'll definitely add the link in the show notes. And in this particular insight from our interview, John explains how our brain needs to build psychological resilience and how crucial this rhythm of rest and recovery is. Our entire physiology is built to support short periods of risk-taking, which is the same thing as a, a stressor. But it's the pattern of delivery of the stressors that can make the difference between something being a healthy um, experience and one that can kill us. So the problem with chronic stress is not just that it's triggering the stress response, but that there's no recovery period. You see, a very healthy pattern of stress is acute stressor followed by recovery. That actually builds up a resilience to stress in much the same way that you build a muscle. You, you stress a muscle to the point of damaging the tissue, then you have a recovery period, and it's the repair that builds a stronger muscle. Well, it's the same with our stress physiology. Acute stressor followed by recovery, acute stressor followed by recovery. That is a beautiful pattern for building resilience against chronic stress. But what happens with in a period of chronic stress, for example, office politics or a credit crisis at the office. Um, in the office, you can sit in a chair for months, even years at a time, suffering these stressful situations with no recovery period. And without the recovery period, this stress response can start acting like acid on your body. Um, it, the, the, the stress hormone cortisol will actually break down muscles and fat cells convert them into, into um, fuel, flush them into your blood. So you get this atrophied muscles in the uh, major muscle groups. The nutrients are flushed into the blood, and since they're not being used, they're deposited around the abdomen. So this is a case, an example of how a long period of stress 
without a recovery period can actually start breaking down your body and have exactly the opposite effects from acute stress. Acute stress and chronic stress have almost diametrically opposite effects on both your brain and your body. So that's a fascinating insight that when we're stressed for long extended periods of time without any downtime, this cortisol in our bloodstream starts to break down our own muscles. This common response of becoming more inactive when we feel stress only compounds the problem by us not burning off the fuel and that getting deposited around our bellies as, as body fat. So because of the physical pain when we experience after a hard run, a cycle or a weight session, we sort of understand that we can't overload these muscle fibers in our bodies and we need to take a few days rest before we work that muscle again. But isn't it interesting to think that our brain is exactly the same? And while we don't have the equivalent pain signal of that DOMS, that delayed onset muscle stiffness that you'll all have had a, you know, a few days after a run, we don't have that in our heads unless you, of course, suffer from a migraine, which is an acute message back to us as a warning signal. But instead, we have this blanket of foggy thoughts which rise slowly to cloud our thinking and dull our decision making. One reason for this, I think, is the role that technology plays in our lives. It's not physically possible for us to run 12 to 14 hours day after day unless you're one of those extreme endurance athletes, and most of us aren't. But when we attempt to do it mentally, we're constantly glued to our laptop solving business problems during the day, and then we're equally addicted and connected to our phones and, and iPads and, and devices through the evening. So that extends this work rate, if you like, to be you know incredibly long days. I had a message on LinkedIn from Marco asking if I thought phone notifications were a bad thing. And I suppose, Marco, it depends on what kind of notifications they are and, and how many you're getting. I'm in a couple of WhatsApp groups where around 40 parents are constantly swapping notes and messages about what time they're picking each other's kids up. So I can see how those sort of low level notifications can build up to be quite a distraction through periods of the day, especially when you perhaps don't need to be copied into those messages or, or email equivalents back in the workplace. But if it's critical information that you want to be distracted away from your work for, then of course, yes, we need to keep them. And I think it's really important for us to proactively spring clean our apps and our notification settings so that we don't just agree to being contactable by the whole world all day. Um, you know, we tend to ignore them and sort of switch our phone off once we've read them. But of course, the damage has been done then that we've been distracted. So I think if we can take that time to go back to the source of the junk mail and press unsubscribe, or switch off those apps or change the notification settings back at the source, then that might take a few extra seconds, but it will save us minutes and hours of distracted time down the line. So I think that's one strategy that I would definitely encourage you to do after this podcast. I saw some research recently from Rescue Time, one of the productivity apps that showed that the average person's phone use is up to three and a half hours per day. And that's a huge amount of time. And that says that uh, around 58 pickups 
per day. So 58 times we're picking up our phones and that's just the average. So 70% of those sessions were under two minutes. So again, really short bursts of distraction and 50% of the pickups happen within three minutes of the previous one. So you can imagine that you, you're trying to do a project, you're trying to write a, a paper or a, a, you know, a detailed email or you know, work through a spreadsheet or whatever it might be. And that sort of sugary snack of the ping of your phone distracts you and, and you're, you're away. You've got one of the 58 pickups in hand, quite literally. And then you're distracted and you're scrolling away and, and that keeps you going back. Maybe you send a message and you get a message back and you can see how all of a sudden we've all got distracted away. And, and this particular research suggests that we've got up to 40% of our productivity has been compromised by this kind of lifestyle. So I think we've just got to take control. And I think part of that winning mindset is saying that I'm not going to let my device control me. I'm actually going to be in control of my focus and my environment and my technology, which plays a huge part in that. So maybe just take a moment today to think about the role of, is your phone bullying you and telling you when it wants your attention? Or are you in control of it? So an interesting person to speak to on this subject is James Woolman, who's a futurist, and he's written a, a great book called Stuffication, which encourages us to stop buying more stuff, this sort of consumer addiction that we've all got to try and buy more things to compare to other people or to, you know, satisfy the marketeers that are distracting us with their, you know, offers and actually swap that stuff for experiences where we, you know, go on day trips or we go away as a family or we learn new sports or hobbies. And he's saying that this is not only much more sustainable and ecological for the planet, but also we have more fulfillment and more purpose and more, you know, enjoyment from those things. So when I asked him about the role of technology in distracting us and draining our mental energy, this is what James had to say. Technology is such a, obviously, it's a ubiquitous, incredibly important macro environmental trend, which is changing so much about our society. And it has changed so much about our society, of course, in the past couple of decades. And it's really interesting to think about the progression of human society from being not technophobic, but not very techy to really techy. And it's... Um, you know, I, I, think, I kind of think about our society as we're kind of like kids. When you first get something, you just want to play with it. When I was a kid, I had, um, I remember my mum bought me um, goggles, swimming goggles for going swimming. And we, my brother and I used to wear them around the house and we were so excited to have these things. And by the time we actually went to go swimming, they'd broken, of course. But I think we're, happily we're maturing with technology and we're learning. I think one of the, the movement of the digital detox movement for me is really interesting. You know, there's this time when, Did you ever find yourself at dinner with people and there's you and three friends and you suddenly look around and realise you were all on your mobile phone because that's what people did. And then it moved from being on your phone to having everyone would have their phone on the table. And now it's rude. If, if a friend of yours has their phone on the table, you're like, well, why are you doing that? So there's a question of that kind of, God, look at me, I've got this device that I'm playing with to okay, I, I've got it there because I'm important enough that someone needs to connect with me at any moment, even though I'm not a nurse, I don't work you know, for the fire service. Um, and it's come to the point where actually that's, that's just rude. 
you know, you you haven't got the time to give me, you know, your actual attention. There's a couple of guys I want to refer to here who I really, you know, respect the work they've done. There's a guy called Tony Crabb, a business psychologist, wrote a book called Busy. There's a guy called Alex Sujung Kim Pang, um, based in Silicon Valley, written a book called Rest. And both of these ideas really are, for me, the fact they've had these books that have come out point to the fact that busy is crazy, and actually what we need is rest in order to be effective. And, and Tony's work really is really interesting in terms of um, kind of trying to change that badge of honour. You know that awful thing, those people you know who are so busy, you know, and it makes people feel really important and it's become this badge of honour. But actually I think that's changing partly because that's how we need to change in the face of you know, the deluge of information, the deluge of technology, but also thinking about AI and automation in the future. We need to think about how can we be effective? How can we live in a world full of distractions, the con- constant kind of ping, ping, you know, kind of thing coming in, and how can we actually get something done? Um, I did some work for a US software company about a month ago, and they sent me an Apple Watch as a, uh, as a thank you which is a lovely thing to do, and please feel no pressure. Because I received this thing, I gave it to my wife. What would I, why would I want somebody to email me on my wrist? I don't, I, in fact, I, um, I have a permanent out of office on, I have significant periods through the day and through the week that I don't answer email, because that way I can get some work done, because my work involves thinking. So, if you're a person whose work involves thinking at any point, you need to close those distractions off so you can deep dive into something that actually matters. And Alex Sujung Kim Pang's work in terms of this rest idea is really fascinating. He's looked at the profiles of some of the most successful people of all time, people like Einstein and other smart people, and they tended to work about four to five hours a day, which for me is really exciting because it turns out, and there's also some um, science to back this up as well, it turns out for humans in terms of being creative, about four to five hours is about optimal. So if you're one of these people who gets in at seven and you work till eight or nine, you're not really being effective. You're, you're maximizing the work you can do, but you're not optimizing the work you can do. And actually, um, Alex is doing some further research about some really interesting companies, these really interesting innovators who are working 24-hour weeks or four-hour days and being really successful. That's a really exciting future for me. Less busy, but much better at what we do. And we all want to be better. So if we can do that by being less busy, that sounds like a good life to me. So there are lots of provocative comments in there which can challenge our view of the world. I do agree with that idea that we're in the middle of this evolutionary path with our interaction with technology. It's almost like those timeline images that we've all seen of the ape on the left-hand side gradually standing up and becoming more upright in the middle of the picture with a a spear and then towards the right-hand side, you know, as Homo sapien develops, we've got, uh, you know, eventually maturing into this sophisticated suit-wearing modern man, if you like. And I think, uh, you know, maybe eight years ago, we were all thrilled to have a phone ring in our hands. Uh, You know, over the last couple of years, we've been more aware socially that that we're prioritising our technology and and those social norms of moving the phone away from the table. 
And I think now the next stage is going to be that AI coming in to filter out some of the volume of information that's bombarding us. I think that's one exciting thing that, you know, we will only be notified by the major priorities and maybe some kind of AI uh, virtual assistant will filter out all the stuff that we don't really need to see. I hope you're enjoying today's show. I just wanted to take a moment to introduce you to Sporting Edge's Members Club. It's an amazing opportunity to join our network of high performers from around the world. Over the last decade, we've created this pioneering library of video insights and performance strategies from the world's best thinkers and performers. But we've never really had a solution that gives you direct access to this whenever you need it. So when you become a member, you'll be able to access this incredible toolkit to boost your mindset and career on demand on any device. You'll hear from neuroscientists helping you to understand how your brain works. You'll be able to watch Olympians giving you inspirational stories and strategies to boost your resilience and rekindle your motivation. And you'll also hear from communication gurus as well as experts in business strategy and the future of the workplace. We'll introduce you to new experts every month and invite you to join exclusive online mastermind sessions with world-class coaches and performance experts. So here's how you can find out more. During times of uncertainty and pressure, your mindset will be the key to your success. Sporting Edge members have unlimited personal access to hundreds of video insights and performance strategies to accelerate their personal and professional success. This is your chance to get powerful weekly micro-lessons from the world's best thinkers and performers from elite sport. You'll be able to connect with a global network of entrepreneurs, coaches and senior executives on webinars, discussion forums and events. Become a Sporting Edge member and get access to the world's best coaches on demand. For more information, visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com. So if you're a coach, entrepreneur or executive looking for strategies to navigate the future with confidence, come and learn more about Sporting Edge Members Club at sportingedge.com forward slash membership. I look forward to welcoming you to our high performance network. So we're definitely in those middle ages, if you like, of that. And I think, again, the more we can advance ourselves up that to be in control of our devices is is really important. So we can, of course, delete the apps and turn off the notifications and stick an out of office message in. But there's also a number of factors conspiring against us. And first of all, it's that insatiable desire to find out what everyone else is doing, that sort of fear of missing out. And there are also hundreds of psychologists and marketeers who are very, very cleverly pushing those very attractive, you know, content messages right under our noses with the exact style and flavor we like. Because with every swipe and every keynote of our phones, we build a more perfectly honed algorithm to, you know, compromise our focus. Um, So that's the sort of the silent war that I guess is going on every time we interact with this technology and the cookies and and preferences that we're showing to be our part of our unique sort of fingerprint online. So with two teenage girls in lockdown, I know how alluring our phones and tech can be. 
but I think we underestimate the mental drain that deciphering a thousand emojis, scanning 200 images and reading 50 short messages per minute can have if we do it for extended blocks. Imagine your eye tracking uh, and your brain processing power of activating memories and comparisons as you scroll through those exponential social feeds. It's almost like the way I think of it is your brain needs to pick up every image like a five kilogram dumbbell, you know, do one rep with it and then drop it down before picking up the next one. Ever lightly, our brains are exhausted from this, you know, blue light and, and constant stimulation. I'm going to try and experiment over the next few days away. I'm going to delete the social feeds off my phone. I want to see if my brain lights up with flashes of genius or whether I'm left as a gibbering wreck in the corner of the room craving my next social media fix. Maybe you'd like to join me uh, a four-day digital detox starting straight after you've liked or left a five-star review on this show. Uh, that of course I will not see until next week because my device will be switched off. So let's do it. Let's try it and see what it's like. I'll be interested to report back on that. I think we all need a nudge sometimes to take a break. And this next insight from leading rugby coach Stuart Lancaster shows the importance of developing our self-awareness in this area as he reflects on his time in the all-consuming role as England rugby coach. There's been times when I've known I've been tired um, emotionally and, and empty, if you like, and I've uh, I can recognise it and I can I'll, I'll find my space that I need. Sometimes it's impossible because you know the game finishes and you're on TV and you're getting interviewed and you've got your team to select for the next day and the media on the Monday and away it goes. So sometimes you just got to battle, battle your way through it. There's no you know no magic wand sometimes. Um, Probably after the Six Nations when we lost against Wales, my mistake was not to give myself a mental break by getting out of the country for three days. My, my instincts were to say, right, take yourself away, get on a plane, go for two days on your own, walk in some March sunshine somewhere and just have a reflect and think. But I didn't. I took myself from the game straight into media on the Monday, straight into a review of the Six Nations, straight into a whole series of meetings that I'd lined up looking to progress the summer tour. Um, and I could feel myself thinking, you know, I'm exhausted here. Um, but I didn't make any poor decisions at that point. But it wasn't the right decision to do that from a personal point of view. And also from a family point of view. I, I owed my kids and my wife time at home. Um, and I probably didn't give them the physical time or emotional time that they needed. Having been away for two and a half months, sometimes... You need to find your own space to recharge your emotional battery as opposed to your physical one. Clearly, physically, you need to not burn the candle at both ends because you'll burn yourself out, go to bed, you know, whatever. If you're an early riser, get to bed early type thing. I'm pretty good at that. Um, but what also I've got better at is understanding when I'm beginning to sort of run out of emotional energy and find a way to get it recharged. So it's different ways for different people, but whatever your way is, you need to find it. And if you don't find it, uh, and you continue to burn the candle at both ends and your emotional energy burns out, your decision-making becomes poor. You make poor decisions on relationships or conversations, and as a consequence, you make a bad job, get progressively worse. I love Stuart's honesty as a coach and leader, and I think we can all learn something from him here. 
Stuart's a physically fit leader who is on the surface, eating really well and not drinking, not burning the candle at both ends, as he mentions. But the demands of the job, the psychological demands, were calling for a recharge, which sometimes means getting completely away from thinking about work. As he mentioned, it's not always possible with media commitments and and the pressure of selection and things that have to be done there and then. But we need to be more proactive and, and build in some recovery slots into our diary ahead of these busy periods. They almost become the fire breaks between the back to back calls, the Zoom calls or the meetings that your colleagues are requesting you to attend. If we proactively put these into our diary first, knowing that we've got a busy week, then they will always be there for us to protect our focus and our mental health. If we leave it too late to read the warning signs, we could really do ourselves harm by just stacking up these commitments, you know, and the workload through the week. So whether for you that, um, you know, fire break is taking the dog for a walk or playing with the kids or calling an old mate or maybe it is doing 30 minutes of yoga, that's up to you. But we need to make sure that we're maintaining that healthy stress and recovery cycle that Dr. John Coates explained. Stuart's done brilliantly in recent years with Leinster Rugby in Ireland, and I'm sure he's found that new working rhythm that allows him to operate at that level of intensity needs in that high performance environment. And and that's the challenge for all of us. And if you'd like to learn more about your own mindset or to develop some of these practical strategies that our experts have showcased, then come and join our 30-day winning mindset programme. We've supported over 700 delegates in recent years and so many positive stories about people gaining confidence, improving their focus and their well-being. And we're starting a new cohort in a couple of weeks. So here's your chance to join us. Performing like a pro starts by thinking like one. The Winning Mindset is a pioneering digital coaching program from Sporting Edge. You'll have access to world-class thinkers and performers who'll inspire you with daily five-minute micro-lessons to boost your confidence, resilience, and well-being. You'll learn from Olympians, neuroscientists, productivity, and well-being experts with bite-sized strategies to help you raise your game. The Winning Mindset. Find out more at www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com. So I spoke earlier about us feeling guilty for taking a break. And I know that's something I've struggled with running my own business. But when I met our next expert, my view changed. And this was an insight that particularly changed my perspective. Now, I've got an amazing team around me at Sporting Edge, but I see my role as being creative and having to generate new ideas, both internally for our digital programs and solutions, but also for our clients and and what they're trying to achieve. And I used to think that if I sat at my desk staring harder at that blank page, then the ideas would eventually pop in and, and emerge. But it's not about concentrating harder. And I was relieved when Professor Vin Walsh the neuroscientist and head of human brain research at University College London, explain what really happens in our brain when we're searching for those eureka moments. There are two key elements to to creativity. Uh, One of them everybody likes and one of them uh, not many people like. 
The one that not many people like is creativity is founded on hard work. There's nothing behind any real creativity other than um, than years of, of sweat and, and effort. The other side of creativity, which people, it's odd. There's a group of people who overemphasize this, this next part of creativity, which is the eureka moment. It's having the idea. And that always comes, always comes when you're not thinking about the problem. It always comes when you're either uh, relaxing or you're, you're, you're just taking time out for a, a, to make a cup of coffee um, or sometimes even when you're taking a, a, a nap. This is when people get their, their great ideas. It's called offline processing. The brain desperately needs that um, to, in order to make new connections between all the information that you've been putting into it. Um, this is why it's often not the workaholic who creates you know, the, the, the most work. It might be the person who does take a, a month's holiday in August. Uh, but what they're doing during that month's holiday, one of the things that they're doing during that holiday, is to allow their brain to make uh, new connections and associations between all the things that they've been sweating over for the rest of the year. And it's a downtime is really, really underestimated. We have to have the courage for people to have downtime. So how good is that? If we've been grafting on a project or an industry for years, then we'll have put in the miles into our legs, into our muscle memory, into that pattern recognition that we need. So it's not about working harder on the puzzle. It's about stepping back and allowing that brain to have the space to let those associations spark together. Staring at the laptop might feel like it's the right thing to do and that we're working hard, but actually our brain isn't. So by immersing ourselves and more importantly, immersing our brain in something which is completely different, like running, cycling, skiing or walking, two random ideas might spark in this magical offline processing. I think the key here is that you're not just sitting in an armchair because your brain will probably still be fixated on the pressure of work. But when you're doing something that engages your brain and makes you concentrate in the moment on that skill, then different parts of our brain are in play. So you can go for that run or go for that walk and your brain is still working. And actually that's when some of our best work is done. And I think what we need to do, which is what Vin Walsh says at the end there, is have the courage to do it. Have the courage to step away and still see that as valuable thinking time. And for so many of us, as we move forward into this next generation of the workplace, you know, a lot of AI and technology is going to take those basic processing tools. And actually our human elements, our empathy, our creativity are going to be the skills that are even more valuable. So if we can start to reorganize our day around that, that's going to be incredibly important. But we need courage because we don't have any reference point for this kind of thinking, this societal reference. We either see people smashing themselves with long working days or then completely switching off in some kind of mountain retreat to decompress. We, we don't really understand this mid-range activity of, of different phases of the day or different phases of the week. We almost see innovation happening in a lab 
or we see great ideas happening in a sort of brainstorming argument with our teams and we see the answer, the final answer coming after the end of a long 12-hour shift. But we need to develop this offline processing as a superpower if we're going to be truly successful. And again, there's no social references. Hollywood hasn't made a blockbuster about recovery man or recovery woman. It's all about, you know, superheroes breaking things and saving things and working hard. So evidence from our well-being and neuroscience tells us the brain benefits of downtime are so powerful but we might just have to write our own story and use those and develop those as our strengths and superpowers. And especially when we start to see the evidence of productivity and great ideas coming from that space, then I know that we'll invest more time in it. I like to run a a few times a week and, and even just on a 30, 40 minute run, you know, some great ideas come in and, you know, I almost wish I'd got a, a notepad and pen running through the country lanes sometimes. But I think it can really help us to free our mind up and, and let those creative sparks fly. So I've had a few other questions about sharing some insights on sleep, which obviously is an absolutely critical part of, of downtime. So rather than just skim over the subject in this particular episode, I'm going to create a dedicated podcast to the role of sleep in our performance and in our well-being, because I think that's one of the most underused and important factors in, in delivering and sustaining high performance. But I think this idea of on and off time is important. So sleep fits that binary model. But to me, today's episode is all about downtime, which is more subtle the more variations, more shades of grey here. And my intention for this episode is to help you to reframe your hectic, distracted busyness into considering the conditions you need to celebrate your impact and productivity without feeling guilty. And again, I think as you know, this modern working from home pandemic has sort of forced us into new routines, it's a great time to be thinking about how to prioritise our mental productivity rather than just our work ethic and our relentless, you know, hard work. I had a question through from Angelina on LinkedIn saying that her husband and young children had been at home over the last few months. She'd been homeschooling and noticed that her mood and and motivations had, had flattened out. And have you got any tips? Well, I do, Angelina. And I, and I, I'd love you to access all of these insights, as I mentioned, through burnout and resilience and sleep and well-being and and optimism and and all of those elements. So that members club, I think, is going to be a great resource for you. But just for today, I found this insight from Victoria Marr, who's the former first soloist with the Birmingham Royal Ballet in the UK. And I think her message is so important. I hope you find this helpful. And it centers around moving from that head down surviving mode to considering what you personally need to be at your best for yourself and for your family. This is Victoria Marr. I think sometimes you don't know how bad you feel until you feel really good. And quite often um, I get through performances on little sleep because I've been nervous the night before and not slept well or, you know, I've been distracted and I've, I've not paid enough attention to what I've, I've, eaten, I've eaten or drunk. Um, so I, I could definitely get by and I could definitely still knock them out and, you know, give a good performance. And then when you actually 
say, right, okay, I want to be on top of everything, 110%, and you've put some focus into nutrition, you've put some focus into, you know, your sleep and what you're doing, you, you suddenly find, even if it's just another 2%, that way I had more left in the tank, I had a bit more energy, I had a bit more focus, um, you know, I was, I was so confident that my body was going to do what I wanted it to do, that I just enjoyed it, I just complete abandonment to it, and that, I think, comes from, like I say, that, that even if it's just that 2%, good sleep, good food. You don't always know it until you've, you know, until you've felt better, but you didn't feel quite as good as you could. Quite often when you're not looking after yourself, it's actually a, um, a symptom of, of the way you're feeling and lots of other things you're thinking. I think when I'm not taking care of myself and I'm being a bit, you know, I'm neglecting my body, it's not really, it, it, it's more a symptom of my head. If I'm not feeling happy with me, um, when I'm feeling on form, um, I want to take care of me because I'm like, I'm great. I want to stay great. Um, when you're not feeling great, that's often the time that you, you know, you neglect your mind, your body. You don't get a lot of sleep. You don't eat the right things because you're a bit down or you don't feel like you're the priority. But when you want to be at your utmost, you have to feel good about yourself and you have to make you and your body a priority for that period of time. So I love that idea that we don't really recognize how bad we felt at a particular period where we're burning out until we feel good again and having that courage to understand the the need for change. And this isn't a badge of honor about how tired I can be. You know, we've got to think more strategically about it. It's such a powerful message to put ourselves first, put you first. Just like the pilot says when we're on the plane and they say, you know, make sure if an oxygen mask falls from the ceiling that you put your own one on first so that you're in great shape then to help your kids and help other people around you. To be energetic and to deliver the love and support we need for our families and our businesses, we need, first of all, to be selfish and to ensure that we prioritise our own well-being and our own physical well-being, because without that, the whole family starts to crumble. Our mood will change. We'll be more frustrated. We won't prioritize. We'll have days when everything seems to be a blur and we won't achieve things. We won't be listening as attentively. And all of those relationships start to break down. So if there's one thing to take away from this episode today, it's that you are the CEO of your own well-being. We've used that phrase before. Every choice you make about your sleep, your nutrition, the breaks you take, the downtime that you prioritize, the fryer breaks that you put into your diary, all of those affect your share price. And if you are working flat out for months and months and months without a break and it's stressful work, then your share price is tumbling. And, uh, you know, that's the last thing we want. So, you know, it feels wrong to be selfish sometimes, but this is absolutely a time to be selfish, to prioritize your well-being, to make sure that you can get up early and do something that, you know, helps you to relax or refocus or do something energetic in the morning so that you feel like you're one nil up on the day. And when you start your day from that position of strength and you prioritize your day throughout, then you can have an incredibly productive day that builds your confidence, builds your impact and helps you to kick on. So all of these things are little cycles, dynamic cycles, you know, and each choice affects the next one. So I really hope that you can start to, you know, take on board some of these great insights from today's session. So as you reflect back on this podcast, I'm wondering what you might do differently. 
Will it be easing off that relentless obsession by booking times to call friends and family or watch films and completely switch off like any Luco advised? Or will it be considering that rhythm of your stress exposure and downtime and energy recovery like Dr. John Coates outlined? Perhaps it's those micro breaks in your day, restructuring your working week or taking a mini break after each quarter of hard work that's going to be important in sustaining your energy. Will you take back that thinking of the demanding times and reflect back on what you can learn from the choices you made like Stuart Lancaster? You know, perhaps there was a period where you were fatigued and that cost you relationships or decision making or or you didn't take some risks because you were feeling tired. Like Stuart, look back at those times and learn from them. Maybe you look back at periods where you had offline processing, you were skiing and came up with a great business idea or you were out on a bike ride and, and a great idea for smoothing a relationship came up. It can be anything, but when our brain is switched off, uh, we can often come up with some of our most creative things. So think back to Vin Walsh's idea of offline processing for those eureka moments. And then finally, just like ballerina Victoria Mar, this is a time to put yourself first and to make sure you can deliver your very, very best performance. And I really hope you have the courage to do that. So whatever you've taken from this episode, I hope you've started to rethink downtime and that you'd now see it as essential to maintaining your winning mindset. Please do connect with me on LinkedIn. And even though I won't see them today because I am switching my apps off, uh, please do add a five-star review if you're enjoying the show uh, because it really helps other people to understand you know, the benefits of being part of our community. And as ever, you can email me to hello at sportingedge.com with any feedback or questions or ideas for future shows. I'd love to hear from you and get some interaction. So tell me about the changes that you've made. Tell me about the, the elements that you've enjoyed in the show. And until next time, I hope your downtime is golden and your energy is truly effervescent. So good luck. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. Connect with Jeremy's LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram links in today's show notes to receive the latest insights from his work. If you'd like to get access to Sporting Edge's digital library or book Jeremy for a conference speech or webinar, then please visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com.